Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Hare Krishna. So you may accuse me at the end of a bait-and-switch here on this topic, but I, I will argue that the, that the power we're going to talk about is actually very important and valuable. So there was a, an attempt to attract your attention, because we all do power. You know, we, we live, we're small creatures in a very big and sometimes hostile world, and so the ability to control our environment and to, and to anticipate things can be, seem very important to us. And so when we feel powerless, we feel very vulnerable. So power is generally something that we want to have. So I tempted you with that in the title. <laughs> and, but I, you may accuse me later on of the type of power I'm going to give you is maybe a, not what you had in mind. But I think you'll, I, I still will argue that it's something valuable. Okay. All right, so anyway, let's... Well, the, 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 the topic we're going to talk about today, it begins in, uh, in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says something that, that's uh, it's quite surprising and questions, I think, uh, our common assumptions about ourselves and how the world works. And, uh, and, and he, just, he, he doesn't explain it at this point. He just, he just throws it out there. And it's in, in, in the second chapter, text 47. And he tells Arjuna, because he, he's trying to get Arjuna to fight in the battle, and Arjuna doesn't want to do it. And he's, he's afraid about the consequences. And so, so Krishna tells Arjuna, he says, you have a right to perform your prescribed duty, your religious duty, but you are not entitled to the fruits of the action. Never consider yourself the cause of the results of your activities, and never be attached to not doing your duty. And I'm particularly interested in, in, in this part here. You are not entitled to the fruits of action and never consider yourself the cause of the results of your activities. The, the Sanskrit word uh, in, in that verse is hetu, which has a dual meaning. It can mean cause and it can also mean motivation. And what he's communicating to Arjuna here uses both of those senses. So generally, it's understood that if you follow your dharma, your religious duty, as, as, as Arjuna is being uh, directed to do, that you will get some good karmic reaction. That's the fruit of the activity. And so the assumption is that I've done the act, I've earned it. Right? If, if, you, if you go to work, you do perform your duties there, you have earned your paycheck. Right? So that, that's the presumption. And so what, 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 what Krishna is telling Arjuna is, no, you shouldn't be, and that's our motivation also. And so what, what Krishna is telling Arjuna is that no, you shouldn't be motivated that way. And why? Because actually you haven't earned it. That, you don't deserve it. You haven't done it. You're not the cause of those things. And he just leaves it unexplained at, at that moment and leaves us hanging. Uh, I wondered about that. Okay. And then along in the third chapter, 327, he explains actually how that's the case. 
The spirit soul, bewildered by the influence of false ego, thinks himself the doer of activities that are in actuality carried out by the three modes of material nature. So we're getting in here, in here to, the, to the weakness part, how we're actually weaker than we think. And the, the, uh, the Sanskrit looks like this. Prakriti, kriyamanani, gunai karmani sarvashaha, ankara vimudatma katahamiti manyate. And so this, the, the kriyamanis, these are the activity, actions that are being performed, and they're being performed by prakriti and guna, the qualities of the, the prakriti is the material energy, and the guna are the qualities of the material energy. So it says all these are, activities are all done by that. And it says that, that the, that the uh, down at the bottom, the, the um, let me see, I can break out my little laser pointer here. And uh, uh, go here. This part, vimudatma. Atma means the soul. And vimuda means to bewilder or to confuse or to, um, uh, to, to delude, to be deluded. And so we are deluded by this ahankara, which Prabhupada translates as false ego. But you can, if you if you break it down further, it uh, it, it means that, that there's there's this sense of uh, of uh, of acting. Aham, I am acting, and therefore it says that I'm doing karta aham, I'm doing because I'm. So if I'm if I'm sitting here, right, and I, I, I pick up my glasses and put them on my face, I think, I'm doing that. So who's put the glasses on my face? I've done it. Right? I've done it. So this, this, is, this is the natural thing. So it, sa it says that, that we're thinking that we're acting. Ahankara. And it's saying it's, it, that, that thought is a wrong thought. This thought is bewildering us and making us, making us deluded. It's mistaken. And this, this prakriti is mentioned uh, in different places. Prakriti, uh, Krishna mentions in, in, in Bhagavad Gita, cha chapter 7, text 4, he says, earth, water, fire, air, ether, you can say solids, liquids, energy, uh, uh, gases, space, mind, intelligence, and false ego, all together these constitute my separated material energies, my ashta, Bina Prakriti, separated Prakriti, Ashtada, eight types. So he's, he's claiming that, uh, that all of these things, of which we are composed, our bodies and our minds, are his. And later he says that he's in control of them in, in uh, Bhagavad Gita 9.10. He says, this material nature, Prakriti, which is one of my energies, is working under my direction. So let's take a look. Srila Prabhupada, he comments on this verse and explains it. He says, the person in false ego, the person who's thinking, I'm acting. Kara, kara means you know, to do, you know, to, 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 to act in some way. He says, takes all the credit for doing everything. Right? Therefore, I've earned the, the, the result. Right? I've earned it. I've, I've done the deed. Takes all credit for doing everything independently. And that is the symptom of his nescience. He does not know that his gross and subtle body is the creation of material nature under the order of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. 
So the stress here is independently. Where did we get this equipment from? And then the, the, here's the, the, the verse 7 4. He, say, he says that the, the, the things that make up this world and ourselves, they're his energies. They're not mine, they're not yours. And he says that it's working under his control, not ours. And then, in, in, a, in a related sense, in Bhagavad Gita 15.15, he shows again how he's intimately, how we're intimately dependent upon him for every action that we do. And so he says, I'm seated in everyone's heart, and from me come remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness. This is Krishna speaking. By all the Vedas I am to be known, indeed I am the compiler of Vedanta, and I am the knower of the Vedas. So this is particularly, I'm, I'm interested in this, this uh, Remembrance, knowledge, and, and remembrance and knowledge in particular here. And there's the, a commentary from one of our great acharyas. He says that, that one way you can take this verse is that from me, Krishna says, in the form of intelligence, there is remembrance of sensations from objects previously perceived. From me, there is also knowledge arising through contact of the senses with the sense objects. So to translate that a little, a little further, is that we've all done various activities and we remember them. In order to do them again, you remember them. You learn something and you do it again. So you know how to drive your car, use your cell phone. Do what, you know, some, we have people in the kitchen right now and they've been cooking our, our, the lunch that we're going to serve. And so they've learned how to cook and they go in there and they can remember how to do it. And they remember details of it. You know, th sometimes the dish, dish hasn't worked out so well, they know it works and doesn't work. That comes from, from the intelligence. It's called the buddhi. And it says Krishna facilitates that. We can't, we, and we can't function without it. And then also it says we learn new things. From, so we, they're continuing to learn from experience. That happens also through Krishna's agency. And even this intelligence is how we recognize objects. So if I'm going in there to cook, I have to recognize what's a vegetable, what's a utensil. So this we can't do without Krishna's intervention. He's helping us in all the basics. We can't recognize an object. We can't remember anything that we've done. And we can't learn something new without Krishna's active participation. And we're not giving credit where credit's due. So the situation, I remember when I was you know, very young, two or three years old, my grandfather had a car that looked like this, which in 1959 was space age. Look, super styly. It looks a little antiquated now, but, but it was the wings, the, this, was, this, this was the thing. And so he used to take, this is, this is before we had even mandatory seatbelt laws, and he would take me on his lap in the driver's seat. And he would allow me to grab onto the steering wheel like this, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> steering wheel felt like this. And, uh, and he would let me drive. And I was just following along. He was you know, holding it at the bottom of the wheel and turning it, you know. And, but I'm following along and I'm thinking, I'm, not only am I, am I driving, but I'm driving a cool car. I had this sense that this car is cool. And so I was feeling good, you know. Uh, not only was I driving, but I was driving and had a sweet ride. This, this is, you know, this was good, you know. But, you know, 
if a ticket was given, it wasn't going to be to me because I wasn't driving, but I felt like that was happening because I, I, it wasn't my car. He was actually doing all the heavy lifting. That's our situation, actually. You know? And we're not acknowledging that. We're thinking, you know, everything is just fine. And, uh, and so the, I have a, a com comment here from uh, our, uh, our Garuda Prabhu, who sometimes comes here and speaks for us. And he, he wrote a book called, called The Bhagavad Gita, the, the, Lord, the Beloved Lord's Secret Love Song. And he comments on this, on this verse a little bit. And I, think, I thought he explained it very clearly. He said, The sense here is that the soul depends upon much beyond itself, such as the workings of the essential qualities of nature in order to act in the world. And that ego-centeredness prevents the soul from knowing this, giving it a false sense of power. Actually, we need so much help. I, I couldn't drive the car. And we can't even do simple actions without the help of, the, 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 of Krishna and his energies. And so, so this is, the, this is the, the weakness I want us to come to accept. This is what the weakness Krishna wants us to come to expect. To, to accept. Expect and accept. And, uh, and it may be a little disquieting to us because we, we want to feel independent. We want to feel like we can do something substantial. Hmm? But, not, but there's a, a, a bright side to it. There's a, a silver lining to this dark cloud, which is that, uh, that if we give up this notion, this false sense of power, we have the capacity to unlock and experience a greater, better kind of power. And I'm going to talk about three different kinds of power that it unlocks. Okay? And the first one is the power of the soul. And, uh, and the, it's because the notion of being the doer and identification with matter are mutually reinforcing. So let, let, me, let, me, let me think about this. this. This notion that I'm, I'm acting, it's me who's acting, and I'm the one who's doing the act. Right? And the notion that this physical and mental thing is me, they reinforce each other. Because it's me, I'm doing it. Who am I? This, this is me. They reinforce each other. Hmm? So giving up the false sense of power is a key element in helping us to experience ourselves as souls. This is why Krishna puts this in here. That as long as we think, hey, I'm independent, I'm acting, I have, I have certain power, I have abilities, then I identify with this external part of myself. And it reinforces that attitude. That's me, who, this, who else did it? Right? I did it. You didn't do it. I did it. So that keeps us distracted from our own true identity as a spirit soul. So one of the key elements, this is why, this is why Krishna told Arjuna that he should fight without being motivated for the results. And he should fight thinking that he's not producing the results. Because that was going to help him to realize the teaching that he'd given him previously. The first thing Krishna told him is that, that you're, you're a soul, an eternal being. A spiritual, eternal being. You're not your body and mind. But that's hard to understand in a deep way. We can understand it conceptually, but to experience it that way. I think uh, Bayahari Prabhu, you know, some, some months ago, he gave, 
he gave a Sunday talk and he was mentioning, yes, how many people know that you're spirit souls? Hands go up all over the place. And he said, well, how many of you are living as if you are? And not so many hands go up. So one of the big obstacles that, that makes that you know, makes those two things the, the, the case, that it's easy to conceptualize and know, but difficult to realize, is that we're caught up in this notion of being the one who's acting and the one who's doing. This, this mutually reinforcing concept keeps us locked into that. And so we can understand it conceptually, but in, in, in reality it's very difficult for us to do that. And so what... Uh, what um, uh, also, this is the, also the verse we're talking about today, the 327. This is actually differentiates between people who are acting as Krishna was, was uh, explaining to Arjuna without wanting the results, not being motivated by the results and not thinking he's the cause, and people who act wanting them. Generally, that's why people follow dharma. They want to get that positive karma that comes from it, and they feel they earn it. So, so this, this ver that, that those who are actually self-realized they don't think that. So this, that they don't think that I'm the doer and that I'm acting. Hmm? Okay, so let's uh, continue. And here's what Prabhupada says about the power of the soul. I've got a couple of quotes where Prabhupada talks about So if we, if we begin to experience ourselves as, soul, as souls, what power does that give us? How is that power? Since I've already had you give up some other notion of your power, this is what I'm trying to, 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 to give you in return. And Prabhupada says, this is from a lecture on Bhagavad Gita 217 in Mexico City in 1975. He says, the sun globe is spreading the light and heat all over the universe. Similarly, the potency of the soul is so powerful that it is maintaining the whole body. He mentions it's so tiny, but yet it's powering. So how much power is in there? But since we're not focused on it, we feel much weaker than that. And then he says, um, this is, comes from the Chaitanya Charitamrita, and he says, the, the bestial civilization of eating, sleeping, fearing, and sense gratifying has misled modern men, modern man, into forgetting how powerful a soul he has. As we have already described, the soul is a spiritual spark, many, many times more illuminating, dazzling, and powerful than the sun moon, or electricity. Are we aware of this? That we've got that kind of power? We're not. Hmm? And in, in a practical way, in Srila Prabhupada's life, we can see some evidence for this. Like he, was, you know, he was a physically a very small person. He was also quite elderly when he came here and began to travel all over the world. And by all accounts, he would have assistants and secretaries who would be exhausted and have to be replaced because they couldn't keep pace with him. Even when, they, when they, they would, he would take a, a, a walk you know, for, for a little exercise for his health, they'd take the morning walks. And even though, again, he was, he was short, and it said he would appear, everybody said he would appear to just be walking very casually. And they would have to be taking extra quick steps to keep catching up to him. Just moving so quickly. You know, he was, he was you know, staying up most of the night working. 
people couldn't keep pace with that. Young people, robust, healthy people couldn't do it. You know? And then even at the very end of his life, when he was, his body was nothing but skin and bones, an ordinary person you know, would barely be conscious at that time. And he was continuing to translate, do his translating work of Srimad Bhagavatam. He was you know, completely coherent, completely had all of his intellectual faculties. So you can see some, we see some you know, results of that, that, that contact with the soul. And, uh, know, just a, a little exp exercise. Sometimes I do, and you can try it. You know, try to see, like you know, the the, the soul is the source of our life, our, our life energy. Just sit sometime and try to trace where it comes from. Go back to the source. It's, it's coming from someplace. We feel energy. Where does it come from? Try it and see if you if you can feel something there. You can feel there's a source there. There's something very powerful where it's coming from. So that's the the one power, the power of the soul. And it's because it happens when we identify with matter, then we take on the characteristics of matter. Things, you know, uh, my spiritual master he says he says we he says we drag around a clunky material body. It's slow. It gets tired. We get the you know the, our mind gets tired. As, as we get older, it, it reacts very much more slowly than it used to. Yeah. Now, when you're very young, you you think something and you can almost just immediately jump and do it. And later, it's it's harder and harder. You know. So we take on those characteristics. We feel, I'm exhausted. I'm sleepy. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm this. We, t we, take, we, we begin to feel like matter. That vibrant you know, energy that, 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 that says is, is brighter than the sun and the moon and electricity. No. We don't feel that way. We're robbing ourselves of that power with, through, this, through this false identification. Now the second byproduct of uh, of understanding yourself as a soul, I'm going to call the power of serenity, and uh, because it's, it's described what people are like in Bhagavad Gita when they have deepened their connection with the soul, what the, who they're like, how they behave, what they feel, and what their existence is like. Krishna gives that, right? and I'm going to argue with you that this is a gr much greater power than the ability to control our environment. Because our ability to control our environment is always limited. I mean, part of what happens with the, with the, uh, with the technology and, and modern science is we're trying to be able to predict and control and give ourselves more power. And in some ways it seems to work. But with the very big things, you know, the, the great forces of nature that are out there, the earthquakes, the hurricanes, the volcanoes, the best that people can think right now is we try to predict them and so we know when to run away before they destroy everything. You know, so there's fewer lives are destroyed. But how can you stop volcanoes and earthquakes? And there doesn't seem to be much chance of that. You know? 
And you know, no matter how skilled you are, there's always things that happen that you wish didn't happen. You know, our whole you know, medical, medical uh, uh, research and things are trying to relieve us of diseases, but there's always new ones that seem to crop up. You know, it's, and then you know, the old age thing is always still there. So the power of serenity, I will argue, as, as we're, we're going to look at here, is more powerful than controlling the environment. Because when we, we're trying to control the environment, we're saying we want certain things to happen and not other things, and certain things not to happen. But what if we could be just fine no matter what happens? What's a, more, what's, what's a greater power? Being able to incompletely control what happens or be able to deal with whatever happens. So it, it says in, in Bhagavad Gita that somebody who's in touch with their soul, they're fully satisfied. One of the main reasons why we are drawn to identify with our, our minds and our bodies is because we're not fully satisfied and we would like to become so. And we think if I can act in a certain way and achieve a certain something, I can increase my happiness. And if I'm also, if I'm able to act properly, maybe I can avoid something that causes me distress. And these things are very important to us. Like little changes can make a big difference to us. Even a little bit of, you know, a little bit of unhappiness can, can ruin our day. And, and a little bit of happiness seems to make a big difference. So we're focused on that so intently. He says, what if we're fully satisfied? Have you ever you know, had an experience where you just feel very, very satisfied? How that changes you. Suddenly you feel peaceful. All the things that were really burning into your mind, the things you wanted to do, needed to do, they just, they fade away. So it says, prasanatma. This is in, in Bhagavad Gita 1854. It says they become fearless. And this, this is a corollary of, of, of uh, what Krishna describes er, earlier in the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita, 20, verses 22 and 24, 23 and 24. Krishna says, the soul can never be cut to pieces by any weapon. This is, this is a, a verse spoken because Arjuna is about to enter the battlefield. So this is why we have the, the weaponry here. The soul can never be cut to pieces by any weapon, nor burned by fire, nor moistened by water, nor withered by the wind. This individual soul is unbreakable and insoluble and can be neither burned nor dried. He is everlasting, present everywhere, unchangeable, immovable, and eternally the same. So impervious to anything material. So we have fear because we feel <laughs> that we can be harmed. We can be destroyed. We can be hurt. Therefore, we're afraid. Somebody who's deeply enough connected to their soul knows they can't be. Sri Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says, even if they're being attacked by a tiger, they don't feel fear. That's what he says. Because they know for a fact that they can't be touched. That's how powerful the soul is unaffected by happiness or distress. This is cited in Bhagavad Gita 2.57. To us it matters. 
something, something good happens, oh, great, it makes our day. We can live another day peacefully. Something you know, unpleasant happens and it, you know, it's devastating to us. We're not equal. We're not the same. Because we're depending upon these external things for our, our happiness, our joy, our fulfillment. But if you're fully satisfied, these things no longer have the same meaning. We don't even pay attention to them. They're not significant any longer. Without desires. Why do we have desires? Right? Because maybe it'll make us happier. Well, you're already happy. We felt that when we, when we have moments of satisfaction, right? then the desires go away. You're satisfied. You're, I'm good. Has perfect peace in, in 271 and never laments. Oh, I've lost this. Now life will never be the same. These are the qualities of sense. So, this is power of a very profound type. So, then there's one last one which I've called the the power of grace, which is unlocked with this. Mm-hmm. So our mistaken sense of independence keeps Krishna at a distance. I'm saying even if we're trying to serve him. Mm-hmm. So think about it. Um, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 4.11, As all surrender unto me, I reward them accordingly. Everyone follows my path in all respects, O son of Pritha. So if, if we are thinking that we're self-sufficient, that we can act independently, that we don't need Krishna's help even for the most basic actions, right? the message we're sending to Krishna is, I've got this. Relax. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need you. And so Krishna receives that message and acts accordingly. As we act, he reacts. Right? Have you ever had a child, right? right? Well, you, you, you're teaching them to do something, and finally they say, no, no, I can do it all by myself. Right? And what do we do? We let them do it. Right? So we're telling Krishna, no, no, I can do it. And this includes even in our, in our service to Krishna. We're recognizing it, but we're saying, no, I can do it. I got this. So Krishna does it. It's okay. So if we recognize our dependence on Krishna, even in our smallest actions, it opens the way for gratitude. This is what we should be thinking, actually. When, when the, I guess maybe at first our pride is stung a little bit if we realize that we can't act independently. But then we realize how Krishna is facilitating us in so many different ways, we should feel grateful to him. And gratitude, I say a grateful heart is an invitation for Krishna to become more deeply involved in our lives. We're saying, I need you, and I appreciate you. So then he changes the way. He asks, Krishna, I need you. We're sending out that message and says, I got this. And Krishna says, 
In the 10th chapter, he says, I am the source of all spiritual and material worlds. Everything emanates from me. The wise who perfectly know this engage in my devotional service and worship me with all their hearts. So from this, you know, Krishna is saying not only is he powerful, and not only is he the most powerful, and not only even is he the all-powerful, but he's the source of all power. So if that's the case, what greater power could we possibly access or have than the power of Krishna's grace? He has power over everything. And so if we want, if Krishna acts in our lives, what could be more powerful than that? And just to conclude, I have a little meditation. This is, this is snippets of verses from the Srimad Bhagavatam, the first canto, 15th chapter, where Arjuna, uh, after, this is after the battle is over and after Krishna has left this world. He's gone back to the spiritual world. And, and Arjuna is, medi is, is, is meditating and remembering about his dependence on Krishna. So that this, is, this is from 15.5, uh, 115.5. Arjuna said, O king, he's talking to his brother Yudhisthira, the supreme personality of Godhead, Hari, who treated me exactly like an intimate friend, has left me alone. Thus my astounding power, which astonished even the demigods, is no longer with me. And then from the same chapter, text 14, the military strength of the Kauravas was like an ocean in which there dwelled many invincible existences. The soldiers on the other side were so powerful. And thus it was insurmountable. But because of his, this is Krishna's friendship, I, seated on the chariot, was able to cross over it. And then 16 says, great generals like Bhishma, Drona, Karna, Burashrava, Shusharma, Shalya, Jayadrata, and Bhalika all directed their invincible weapons against me, but by his, by his Lord Krishna's grace, they could not even touch a hair on my head. And one of the things that precipitated this meditation was Arjuna was defeated. When Krishna left, Arjuna was supposed to protect Krishna's wives, and he was defeated by some cowherds, <laughs> who were not even, even warriors. And Arjuna's message says, I'm the same Arjuna. I have the same bow, the same weapons, the same chariot. But when, and I was you know, invincible when Krishna was present, and now I've lost all that power. The same, I'm the same one, but now look, I'm defeated. That was his meditation. That whole, that whole section is powerful. He talks about how he was in the the plants of the devatas and fighting with Lord Shiva and so many things. He was able, by Krishna's grace, he was able to do so many extraordinary things. Everybody knew me. Because his fame was so wide. He says, no, I was nothing except for Krishna's grace. So I think it's a worthy trade. We give up our, our pride and our, this ego-centeredness in our lives and begin to realize that the role that Krishna plays in every tiny action that we take. Uh, it's a little bit uh, devastating to our pride, perhaps, at first. It may even make us a little uncomfortable, because we like to think that we are in control. But Krishna is known as the Suridam Sarvadehinam, the, the, the well-wisher of everybody. And so, you know, we're, we want to be in control partially because... We're afraid that if somebody else's, our interests will not be taken care of. 
But if Krishna is in control, that's guaranteed our interests will be taken care of. So if we do that, we can access some gratitude in our hearts. And with that gratitude, we can invite Krishna in. And when Krishna comes in, everything can be attained. So, so thank you very much. Are there uh, comments or questions or, or complaints? This is, this is the time. <laughs> Bring the mic, Gopi. Thank you. Thank you, Prabhu. Really nice um, lecture. Um, I just had a thought that I wonder if you can kind of elaborate on. Um, the soul being this, um, we haven't tapped into a, our unlimited potency or potential mm. because we're identifying with the body as the self. Mm. Um, and I was thinking of this sense of Two, in one sense, what you were talking about, two categories. You have a person embodied in the body who's thinking that they're the body, therefore utilizing the full potential and resulting in frustration or distress. And then you've got the purely elevated soul who is um, seeing themselves separate from the body and not disturbed in the power of the spirit. Hmm. Um, when I was reading Pranada's book, Wise Love, she really talked about um, the soul being the experiencer and that we experience that the body is the medium to ex for the soul to express and to experience. And that there's this um, reflection. Um, and she went into this, and this is a concept I've been thinking about as the middle road between the two, because we're not on one. Um, I hope that I'm not completely diving in the, the covered state, although it's, it's very much there, but the sense of trying to bridge the two of seeing... The body as um, as a vessel to experience because I don't know my true self. So how can I live in my true self? So I've been I've, I'm wondering about this concept, and I'm trying to get my question clear of utilizing that the body um, and the material as a way in in experiencing, but not know not in the sense of seeing that, that it's a mirror, but that mirror is reflecting back a quality of my true self in the sense of, okay, I have children. The experience of love manifested through children. Um, knowing it's not permanent on this planet and in this body, but seeing that reflection of love giving me a little mirror taste of what pure love might be to want that. In a, in a pure sense, and how that, my question to you is, how can we not go, I mean, it's a tendency for me just to deny, oh, my body's just material, or I'm just this, or I'm just that. But finding that middle ground of utilizing um, the experiences of material experiences as a reflection to understand really who we are. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that distinction, especially as you mentioned at the end, Okay, because yeah, if we're if we're not the we're not the we're not anything material, we're spiritual, and then, so then then the notion is to reject everything material. See that that's that's called jnana, where you're separating the, the the soul from matter. But we're on the path of devotion, and so we look at things a little differently. We were discussing this. We had we had we had Bhagavatam class 
uh, just uh, um, just last last week, and we had made that same distinction between what what is permanent and what's temporary. Like you know, so that if you're the if you're the witness of everything, you know, then all the all the things you're seeing are different. They're changing. They're not permanent, including you know, including your children, including and and I was sitting and listening, and then I realized, well, then we also have we also have the deities sitting here with us right here. We we have we have the Hare Krishna mantra, which is right here, right? and so. In bhakti, it says that we're not supposed to reject things that are connected with Krishna. Exactly. <laughs> See, so that so it it starts like that. So so I was thinking, well, you know, my a consciousness, you know, sometimes it may see the deities and sometimes not. So do I do want to withdraw from that? I don't want to do that. Right? That's that's not what we're given to do. So the same thing. What what we're trying to change. The, the, we, we don't know details about our spiritual identity, but we do know that there's what we are is we're givers and lovers rather than takers and consumers. That's what we know. That's the difference. The, the, when, when we're identified outside, because of the lack of satisfaction within, we try to seek it. So you know, it's like a, it changes our polarity. We want. We want to consume. We want to have things. We have selfish desire when we're full and especially overflowing then we want to love so maybe maybe your children right they they may get you in positions where you have to sacrifice in ways that you otherwise would not have done previously you would have been more you would have been more interested in your own you know, like when, you know when you have babies and you know i mean i don't know i haven't had it but maybe the first couple times when they wake you up in the middle of the night you know it's beautiful you get to go see them again and everything you know but I, you know, after a little while i probably you know you can wait to see them until the morning you know, you know it's okay you know you still doesn't mean you love them less but you probably can still you know it's all right you know you know but so so they 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 push you to come out of your comfort zone right and so that, that begins to push you in, in, in the right direction. So we can, even though we're not material entities, this matter is Krishna's energy. And we can learn how to give rather than receive. So there's a difference between jnana and bhakti in that sense. And that's a, that, 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 I think that's what your middle road is, is thinking about. So what we do is really we change our orientation. Hmm? I see these things are temporary, they're material, but how can, I, how can I give? How can I love rather than how can I take and receive? Hmm? Prabhupada says in the, it's in the, it's in the, uh, the uh, third chapter at the end that our, our love, when, it, when we come into contact with, mater- with material energy and get uh, identified with that, our love turns into desire. So the polarity switches. So yeah, we, we're not jnanis, we're bhaktas. And so we, we do see how everything is also Krishna's energy. How can I please him? How can I please his, his other you know, beloved people and other creatures? Seeing it in relationship to Krishna more. No. Like, yeah. So in any experience, because sometimes we push away experiences as material and deny. But I'm, trying to ex- I, I'm just trying to make this point. Can we take every experience, but once we connect it to Krishna or to understanding the self, then it's going to purify us, it's going to liberate us, it's going to put it in its right perspective. Yes, exactly. Or orientation. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 
That's the bhakti way. <laughs> yeah. Prabhu, thank you for explaining. Um, one question I have is, um, you mentioned that like when we perform our duty, just uh, without any expectation, we need to perform. Do, do, do your duties just like an instrument and don't, do any, don't expect anything, the results. Um, so like uh, Arjuna was fighting, it's a big war and it's a challenge. If there is a challenge, there should be a goal and strategy. Uh, if he is just fighting without having a goal and strategy, then he cannot succeed. So to define a goal, you know, you need to, you, if you fight, you have to fight. Keeping the goal means like there is an expectation there. Can you explain me a little bit how that we can apply? Well, because his, his, his ultimate desire was to, was to please Krishna. So that's not a selfish, see, the, the, the desire means selfish desire. That's the kama means selfish desire, personal interest. So the result he wanted was to please Krishna. That's, that's a, a, a different type of desire, a different type of motivation. That's a spiritual one. Hmm? So that's what it is. Thank you. Not to please himself. For your lecture, uh, yeah. I have a question about three or four words I came out of uh, your lecture. Mm. Uh, one is a power, pride, and fear of losing the power. Mm. So those words really, I feel they are synonymous. Mm. And <laughs> bringing a soul into it to take care of, control our ego, how they are connected with each other how a soul can really empower the power and pride and ego. Thank yeah, well, the, the, that, you know, the, the, again, the, the, the notion of, of pride right, since, is that we think we're independent. Right, this, 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 uh, this ahankara, this feeling that I'm able to act independently without any help. I'm somebody. Right? And we all feel that. You know, we, 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 have the, we have this baseline thing that we all want to be somebody. That's why when, you know, when somebody speaks unkindly to us or about us, it hurts us. Or when somebody praises us, it makes us feel better. That's deeply in there. And we, you know, we, we feel isolated and we feel, we feel that, you know, we, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody. I'm doing something. That's pride. Right? And if we, can, if we can realize that we have help, from a very benevolent source, Krishna. That even in my smallest action, the, 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 the section in chapter 15, Bhagavad Gita, you see, Krishna also says, I helped you digest food. He says, I'm the light of the sun and the moon. He says, I'm the one who provides you with the earth. Keep, it, keep the earth in orbit. He says, I'm providing you all these different facilities. He says, your, your physical body is all made from my energy. So he says, I'm helping you in so many different ways. And so when we feel that, and we feel gratitude, we'll feel how we are, how we are dear to Krishna. Why is he helping us in so many ways if we're not dear to him? Right? So then instead of having to be somebody better than somebody else, right? Isn't it? We, our, our self-esteem tends to be comparative. 
I can do this better than somebody else. I'm able to do this and it's better than somebody else. But when we understand how Krishna cares for us, somebody wonderful like Krishna, and how he's helping us, then the pride goes away. You feel secure. Krishna is helping you. Krishna is there. So you don't need so much power. And your ego, what is the ego? You, when we want to be strong and we find out we're weak, that hurts us. But when we find out that we're being helped in so many ways and, and adored by Krishna, we can feel secure and happy. That weakness, that humility becomes a, a joy. Now when we're, we're humiliated, we feel pain. But we can feel joy. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hare Krishna. Krishna. Very nice lecture. But I have a question. So where does choice fall into this? Like, our, you know, Arjuna didn't want to fight. Krishna showed him that regardless whether he fought or didn't fight, all these soldiers were going to be dead anyway. So what would happen if Arjuna made the choice not to fight? Would he be forced to fight? No. Or, no. This so is, where, where does choice uh, and free will fit mm, into mm, this? Yeah. Well, it says that Krishna is right, that he's the supreme controller, right? That he you know, is able to control everything. But he can choose to give us freedom. It says he's the he's the you know he's the he's the controller of all controllers, Parameshwara, you know. But because but he has given us because we're dear to him, he's given us the capacity of free will. So he will not interfere with Arjuna's choice. Because what happens if he does, if he controls all of Arjuna's choices, all of our choices, then devotion has no meaning. We become robots, automatons. Well, Krishna showed him, yeah, Krishna showed Arjuna that, that he said, everyone's already been killed. I've killed them. But he says, you become my instrument. So they're still going to be killed, but he doesn't have to participate. And that was, I mean, even, even Arjuna knew that there was going to be a terrible cataclysmic battle even if he left the battlefield. Even before Krishna showed him that, he knew that so many of his, of his friends and relatives would die. But he just said, I don't want to participate in that. I was just thinking, I don't want to get my hands dirty with that. And so, so that was going to happen. And so they would die some way or other. But he wouldn't have to participate if he didn't want to. He didn't have to. He, he could, he, yeah, yeah, he could, yeah. So he, he's allowed to make that choice. Otherwise, devotion doesn't have any meaning. Worship doesn't have any meaning. You know? We're gonna make, you know, at some point we're gonna make androids, you know, and you know, and you can program them to to love you, but you know it's not real; it's a program, you know. Another interesting comment about Krishna is the source of all remembrance and forgetfulness. Hmm. Uh, another interesting point about remembrance and forgetfulness coming from Krishna. So many times we find ourselves saying, "I know that it's on the tip of my tongue," <laughs> but you can't think of it, and all oh. of a sudden. All later, it just pops in your head, and there it is. Yeah. Or you'll remember something that, how could I ever remember that? But at the right moment, Krishna gives you that remembrance mm. again. Yeah. Or even Prabhupada says somewhere on a purport that we may have desired something from many, many, many lifetimes ago. There's no way we could remember it. But Krishna says, oh, you wanted to enjoy this particular thing. Here it is. Now take it. It's yours. 
And yeah. just, you know, you have some attraction for something that makes no sense, but all of a sudden it's there because Krishna's reminding you. In, his, in, his, in the Gita purport, that's what Prabhupada says like that, that when we, when, we change, when, we, when we change our bodies, when we're born again, we forget our past life, but he helps us to remember the things that were, you know, that were important to us. You know? So we, those things carry, we, he says he engages, in this, in this, in that, engages us in activities that are a continuation of that. You know? yeah, he reminds us of those things. And then also in, in the Bhagavatam, he uses that same verse and he says that, uh, that if we choose to be in forgetfulness of Krishna, he makes us forget him. And if we choose to remember him, he helps us to remember. So when, there's many, sure many different dimensions to that verse, you know. If you want to forget Krishna, he'll give you the ability to forget him forever. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah, yeah. So can I have one comment, please? The last comment that Krishna never imposed anything on Krishna, Arjun. Even after, in the 18th chapter, Krishna says, Arjun, I have imparted you this knowledge. You think about this, you know, contemplate this, and then what you do, what you think is best to do. So Arjun, Krishna never imposed anything. Arjun decided finally that yep. to fight. Correct. Thank you. It was so, so horrible to him. It's, it's natural, right? Even Krishna says that, 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 that happy are the kshatriyas whom these kind of fightings come on because it opens the door to swarga. Swarga dharma pavatam. Right? But Arjuna was so horrified by the fact that it was, it was fighting his family members and friends and teachers that he was ready to become a bhikshu, go and be a beggar. And kshatriyas never beg for anything. That's, that, that, that is just, that, that is uh, complete indignity. Yeah. So, but it, the, the circumstances were so horrible in his view that it, it, it overcame even his natural inclinations. Hmm. All right. All right. Hare Krishna, thank you. <laughs>